Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution that we know we need. Okay, so Doug Ford has just announced free tuition in the province of Ontario for police officers. And he's also made an announcement that they will no longer need post-secondary education, something I assumed they were not getting, but apparently they do, and it's a requirement. This has got me so incredibly fired up for so many reasons. I sound incredibly calm right now, but I am burning mad at this. One, because he's funding more police in a time that we know we need less of them and we need to fund our communities. But two, Santiago, I'm seeing a lot of rhetoric around it where we seem to be falling into a trap here of arguing against free tuition and kind of mocking this post-secondary education requirement. I, I feel like we're walking into a bit of a, a trap here. Uh, with mm-hmm. Doug Ford, and he had the gall, <laughs> the gall to call it a police pipeline. I, you know, I texted this to you. I feel he's taunting us. This language, these audacious moves. It's it's so like there's so many layers to this, and it's so incredibly frustrating because yeah, like it does feel like he's laughing at us with this whole thing, and not just like the language around it, but even just like. Doing this right now with the conversations that are happening right now about police, like the, this this messaging that like we need as many as possible, like it, it's so completely devoid of any actual substance, facts, data behind it. It's complete ideology, right? A lot of that trash is coming out of the Toronto mayoral race, right? Like this is, I feel like they're feeding into one another here. It's a bit of a coordinated effort by some of these right wing top runners for the Toronto mayoral race that are just law and order, law and order. It's not safe on this the TTC. So more cops, more cops, more cops. That is a constant. That's got to be the most underlying theme in the race. While if you ask residents what they really want to know about is housing. Right. Mm-hmm. When we posed that question, it was people wanted to know about housing plans, but that's really not what we're getting. And now Doug Ford's playing into all of this and making statements like it's not a safe place to be, that, you know, that we're all in danger using real fear tactics. I mean, so I decided to look up crime statistics, which is something that they don't seem to be talking about much. No. So Ontario actually has the lowest per capita rate of violent crime in the country. And we are about mid to high range on per capita police officers. We we have the most people, so we obviously have the most cops, like 22,000 cops here in the province of Ontario. But it's funny, not funny, that the provinces and territories that have the highest rates of violent crime have the highest policing rates. We know more cops don't mean safer streets. We absolutely know this. That is a theory that has been debunked along with trickled down many, many, many years ago. Yet it's still such a driving force in this narrative. Did you say we have 22,000 cops? Yeah, let me pull up the numbers for you. I was just calculating something relating to that because I didn't know we had that. Like, is it really that many? In Ontario or Canada? Actually, in 2021, Ontario has 26,100 police officers. The next highest province is Quebec with 16,000. Because the average starting salary for a cadet in training is $67,000, which adds up to a total of $1.7 billion dollars. For the 26000 assuming the lowest possible salary, which is not accurate, which probably means we're somewhere more closer to $3 billion, maybe a bit less than $3 billion just in this. And conservatives have the audacity 
to complain about the salaries of other public employees, such as nurses. You know, we have the, uh, the I forget the acronym for the strike right now. The PSAC. C- yeah, the CRA people, you know, they're, they're calling them privileged and, and spoiled and stuff when this like this is so much worse it's but see that's the trap i want to make sure that we don't fall into is saying like people don't deserve free post-secondary education or to be paid well or you know that certain jobs shouldn't require post-secondary over you know lived experience or whatnot no i'm not complaining about about the cops getting well i am a little bit but what, what, what i'm using it is to attack kind of the talking point about yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying that it's 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 an attack on this idea of fiscal responsibility fiscal conservatism which i would say are not the same thing right this idea that there's not enough money for this but you never talk, hear them talk about there's not enough money uh, when it comes to increasing the police force, when it comes to paying the salaries of police who are incredibly well compensated. I see no reason why police should be, why we're, we're talking about not having enough money to give to nurses when police are given so much. They're seemingly given whatever they want, right? Well, even eliminating these tuition fees is going to cost $34 million a year just to get more cops on the ground. I feel like it and, might be more, but it seems like a lowball number. Well, I don't think they charge these folks too much tuition. And we're going to end up with a lot more cops coming out. They're talking about 70 additional spaces for each cohort. There's four cohorts because they're adding another one. And this is on top of all of the cadets that are already coming through this fucking pipeline that they're talking to talking about. And they're going to be even less educated they're not going to be taught any critical thinking before we put them out there with a gun and and more funds because each municipality is also increasing their funds. Shit, Ford's been throwing millions and millions at police officers his entire reign. Just last year, it was like $75 million for cops just to combat gun crime. Just some sort of side project for them. I saw this comment earlier today, um... Somebody uh, pulled up, there was a University of Alberta criminology study that found that police officers who use excessive force are overwhelmingly um, police without um, university degrees. And this was a study that looked at U.S. police officers, just to be clear about. That's troubling. Yeah, no, I mean. You look at you compare the standards already, like we're already quite laissez-faire with our standards compared to many European countries which require very extensive training to become a police officer. Um, you're Essentially, you know what this kind of reminds me of? This whole thing has a feeling very similar to what the U.S. does with the military, uh, where they really prey on young, vulnerable, uh, often marginalized people, um, offering them, you know, like, you know, the, the whole free education, like, come with us. You'll As get, a recruitment tool. Yeah, you'll get an education. You'll get a good salary. You don't have options. This is the easiest thing for you. Come become a weapon, right? That's what they do because it, it, they make it seem so easy, right? Like, don't you don't have to think about it. You don't think about it. Come here. You'll have honor. You'll have uh, respect. You'll have money. You know, that's what they try and do. So this whole thing for me, really reminds me of that because you're looking at a situation where so now you're not charging tuition right a lot of people cannot afford um not just the tuition of going to university or college but the fact that you you can't earn as much money while you're doing that you still got to pay rent you still got to pay food so like regardless of like there, there are layers to why people cannot go to university osap doesn't even begin like osap's not the beginning or the end of that conversation so people cannot afford a lot of times to get education. I was just looking at the numbers. It's, I, mean, I mean, it's truly ridiculous. And then what you're seeing is now they're offering a situation where when it comes to salaries, I mean, we're talking, like I said, a $67,000 salary is the starting salary for a cadet in training. That puts them in the upper third percent, uh, upper third of earners. I think even a bit higher than upper third of earners. Uh, 
in Toronto when it comes to salary. I mean, most people are are, are below 50,000. Most people are concentrated around, you know, like the 30, even less than 30,000 a year, right? So we're talking like twice as much as where a lot of people are at. So $67,000, and it only goes up from there, right? A lot of police officers are earning upwards of 100000 a year, right? So it's also very, a lot of money for very little education. You talk about, like, you compare this to nursing, where people have to go and do so much education, and, or like just anything in medicine, and just work your fucking ass off, and it's so competitive, and it's so difficult, and then you get paid not enough. Like, this is... What this is feels exploitative. It's selling a message to people of like, come here, you'll be taken care of if you surrender uh, your autonomy to become a weapon of the state. That's what this is. See, I don't know. I'm having trouble feeling sorry for anybody who signs up for this at the point, right? They're going to be cops. They're going to be the enemy of the revolution, right? So my focus isn't so much on them exploiting people into that system, but why they feel the need to up the numbers so much, right? Like we have capital absolutely needs the police to protect them from uprisings because as they strip us of our public services, of our wages, of our rights, eventually we will fight back. That's, that's a given. That's just how political systems work. It's, we can't put up with it forever. And any, we see labor even gearing up saying enough is enough, using that kind of rhetoric. Mm -hmm. This is a signal to capital to make sure to bolster their forces that will in turn protect them from us. But let's talk about nurses too, though. That's an important point because a lot of the tweets that I saw go out made that important uh, correlation in Ontario, especially we know we're going to be short 33,000 nurses and PSWs by 2028. Now, it's going to cost a lot of money to fill that kind of gap. But, you know, instead, we're hiring police officers instead of nurses. Okay, now now is the part where uh, this this is really, really a level of infuriating for me. Um, this is something what, what I'm going to talk about is something it hasn't been covered yet by mainstream media, mostly because um, the people involved are being really really quiet about it but there is an article anyway what i'm going to talk about is nipissing university so nipissing has a nursing program here in toronto uh, nipissing is based out of north bay but they have a program here in toronto uh, and i know somebody who was set to begin there in the fall um, they received an email about a month ago informing them that the program is no longer running they have canceled the toronto brace program it's done um, they gave them very little notice they couldn't uh, it was too late for them. They had turned down offers at like UFT. They had turned down uh, offers at like McMaster to be able to do it at Nipissing because they liked the placement. Um, so this is a, a whole class of future nursing students who are now abandoned. But the bigger issue here is like, why have they shut down this program? I mean, uh, the person I know, they, they managed to uh, to get... To, after it took them weeks to get answers, but apparently it was a board of directors' decision uh, regarding funding, right? Now, Nipissing University is a publicly funded university. What does this mean? That they don't have enough funding to run a nursing program during a nursing shortage. This is, and we've heard from the Minister of Health that they're doing everything that they can to ensure that nurses are going in, that they have their own nursing pipeline. So I talk they're to, lying. I talked to a nurse recently uh, who works at Toronto Western Hospital um, because uh, they're a graduate of Nipissing and I wanted to talk to them for the story I was writing. And, and they were telling me, you know, their, their theory about this, right? And what they're saying is that they're trying to replace the nurses uh, with nurses from other parts of the world who they can pay substantially less because... Um, They'll be so grateful to even be in Canada that they'll accept uh, getting paid less. And then they're held in this exploitative position where being able to stay in the country relies on them being employed as a nurse. Right. That is the situation. So they're not looking to solve 
the nursing shortage. They're not looking to pay nurses what they deserve. They're not looking to train more nurses. At the same time, as we're seeing an increase in funding for police post-secondary, for poli- uh, the, the Ontario Police College, we're seeing nursing programs shut down, and it's being completely ignored. And let me tell you something, that is the most telling part of this whole situation. The fact that only Bay Today from North Bay reported on this closure. The fact that they only ha- have that information because they're in North Bay uh, and because they're, they're, they're in proximity to that. But no paper in Toronto has covered this because Nipissing has made no announcements. I only know about it because I know somebody who was going to be in the program. No, like no, Nobody knows that this shut down. It has been like a month and a half now, and nobody has talked about the shutdown of this nursing program because they've made no announcements, nothing from the government, no MPs, MPPs, nobody from anywhere is talking about this. Why? Why is nobody talking about this? That is the most telling part because they know the optics. They know the optics about shutting down a nursing program right now. They know how that will look. So they don't want people to know that it's happening. And this is like, you can go check. This is confirmed. There is enough out there to like. I think a lot of it has to do with the relentlessness of Doug Ford and the political turmoil that the province is in, as well as the country. And what they're highlighting is trash, right? So what is being reported is, you know, the dire straits and the political dramas and not the actual impacts that these budgets have, that these cuts have, the local impacts, or and then the bigger story that it means, right? That means more nursing shortage at a time when our hospitals are closing because of staffing shortages, bedding, you know, province wants to add more beds. They keep promising funds for more beds, but we have nobody to work them. Meanwhile, yeah, they are just flooding the streets and flooding our transit system with cops. You talked about how much police make. I want to just share a little bit on how much they cost municipalities because it's staggering, Santiago. So just recently, Toronto increased their police budget by quite a substantial amount. Even if we look back to 2021, the the OFL has a bit of information on their website. I'm stealing it here. But just the city of Toronto alone spends about $33 million per day on police services. The equivalent to public money spent on public transportation, public libraries, children's services, and public health combined. Combined. So we had Anna Jessup on here from Defund the Police and Fund Our Communities. And like this is exactly what folks are talking about when they talk about defunding the police. It is directly taking away from the actual life-saving necessary services that we have built around us for generations you know how much did you say a day is this spending it's 11 billion dollars a year it's 33 million dollars a day in the city of toronto alone you look at peel that's about 13 million dollars a day york is actually pretty cheap they only spend under a million dollars a day but this goes on in Durham, in Ottawa. This is repeated in Halton. It's $162 million. Uh, you know, 36% of public monies in Halton are spent just on police. So let's, it's funny that that number is 33 a day, 33 million a day. And that was in 2021. And we know that's the, gone the up. Shortage, the shortage, Ontario will be short 33,000 nurses and personal support workers you know i'm just thinking about how is, is that our magic that it, it's, it's just funny right because like you, you can't help but draw the parallels in those situations right to like yeah. how that money like they say that there's no money for nurses but there's money for police and and like spoiler alert, uh, nurses save a lot more lives than police like it's not even Absolutely. it's not even close it's not even close i mean it's not even remotely close I try to explain this to people like police are not here to improve our lives in any capacity. That's not what they were created for. It it never has been their directive, right, no. to improve our lives. It has been protect to protect capital. 
that's property, that is wealthy people. This is the reality. And I know most of our audience are probably nodding along. They don't disagree with this. But the fact that we allow our budgets to be spent this way without massive resistance, and I know that there's been huge movements, mostly done by the Black community, to address the disproportionate violence that they face by the police services. They're doing all the heavy lifting here. And meanwhile, we're still electing folks that are wasting, like in Peel, 40% of the tax dollars that they pull in that you folks need is just going straight into policing, which is just putting people into prison and it's just degrading our society as a whole. It's unbelievable the fact that this is ramping up, but also promising <laughs> because I think they know what's coming. And it's really important. Like, I just want to mention it because, you know, you see that there's like there's public debate about this. People are arguing about this. Like, let's be clear about looking. There is no logical or financial explanation for this outside of like the protect yeah like the protection of capital and ideology and this is really to protect the ideology because nurses will like from a from a fiscally responsible point of view right nurses are so much more important to the economic security of the country than police officers are like that's a reality here there's there's no police are a drain of resources with very little um to show for it you know like what they actually like what 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 actually they contribute to anything very very little whatsoever but nurses saving people like there's there's no measurable comparison there right like being able to treat people being able to have people be healthy that is so much more important so there's like there's no situation where it would be logical to be to be doing one before like if you if you like let's say hands are tied you know they're they're going with the whole austerity thing they're like we we no no deficits you know we only have so much money okay nurses should get funding before police in any logical society there is no study there's no basis there's no logic there's they're not and that's why they're not making any arguments here they're just saying we gotta tackle crime okay yeah you gotta like it's more than that they are using like real fear those quotes that came from ford were designed to scare the people of ontario and leaders you know really that's not their job so you have to we have to ask ourselves, you know, why is he trying to make us fear for our lives in a province that actually has the lowest violent crime rate in the in the country? And also, right? what is that purpose serving? Like, it's one of those things where, like always, we can look to the United States um, for for a comparison and see, you know, they they have like a lot more police than we have, and and it's not safer. You know, it's not safer. So there, there's no conversations here about treating like the actual fundamental root causes of crime. And in reality, this makes us more dangerous, not just because police are actively uh, inflicting violent on, violence on community, but this means less resources that go towards actually addressing the root causes of crime. And that means that whenever the conversation of crime is brought up, this is immediately where we're going to, as opposed to having the more important conversations. I mean, this is so completely backwards and completely broken that that's why it's so infuriating and that's why it really feels like they're laughing in our face you know it, it really does feel like that like at what point like i don't i don't i don't know like like where they get like this idea also that there's there's already not enough police like as if police respond like are do they think they're responding too low like, do they think that, like, they need more police on patrols? Because there's a lot of data about how police patrols do nothing, right? Like, just being out and about doesn't make things safer. That is a known thing. So, like, where exactly, like, where, what exactly are they using the more police for? Okay, to fight crime. How? How? And I, I know that there isn't answers. I know they don't have the answers, but it's still, like... Like, they, they really think we're stupid. One of the sad parts about this is I think the law and order 
rhetoric hit a bit of a fever pitch around the TTC and specifically the death of a 16-year-old Gabriel, you know, in an, what the police called an unprovoked attack. And the response to that was his mother being interviewed. And she intuitively knew that the call would be for more police because it immediately was. Right. She was a nurse, right? Yeah. Immediately the next day they deployed right out into the TTC system and or at least almost the next day. But his mother, when she was interviewed for a news program, was adamant that it's the root causes its poverty. It's the lack of housing, the lack of mental health care for folks that leads to the situation in which she lost her son. And instead, the public's reaction was to ignore those the words of that mother and galvanize behind the shit that's coming out of Ford and, you know, Mark Saunders running and some of the other candidates. And, and there's another aspect to that story, too, which is the fact that, you know, I've seen a lot of rhetoric around the fact that um, the, the person... Who, who, who stabbed Gabriel, um, that they, uh, they were out. Um, I don't know if the, I don't know if it was parole or something, but no, I, I think they had like a, they, they were like being looked for cause they had like ducked a court date or something. And they were talking about how like they had been cycled through the system a few times. Um, and they were using that as kind of a, a right wingers were using that as justification for saying that, uh, the judicial system needs to be a lot harsher. It's the wrong thing to take away from it. And there's a lot of... Like, this is something I, I, I really... Like, we need to do seven episodes. Um, but just the prison system is is horrible, horrible, horrible in Canada. Um, this... When we talk about, you know, what happens when somebody commits a crime, you know. In the West, we, we, we're so far behind. So far fucking far behind where the actual science and data is pointing us uh obviously like if you look to scandinavia they they do this completely different right they have rehabilitation oriented care where they don't put people in like little cells and make and and dehumanize them and punish them right like a a lot of them are living like they actually have houses you know they, they have community opportunity to like um like get mental health support to to get financial support to get education to like actually go through all of the things that help you like reintegrate and 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 become a part of society right um and and the whole thing like the the guards they don't have guns there they don't have like it's not like a, a violent thing it's not like this cold brutalist thing it's very very different than that and what we see out of those countries is that they have the lowest recidivism rate in the world. Recidivism being a person uh, reoffends, going yeah, is going re-arrested, back, going back to jail, right? They have the lowest recidivism in the world. They have the most successful rehabilitation. People who go to jail in these countries uh, come out and and are, are members of society who are able to live good lives. Careful that we don't like feed into that rhetoric. A lot of yeah. people who end up in jail is simply because they're poor, right? And they're they're stealing or doing things they need to do to survive. The, the way society even frames crime is a problem, right? Like I don't yeah, prisons yeah, yeah. go from two different approaches. I guess rehabilitation and punishment. For me, both of those for a poor person stealing or you know selling drugs to get by or whatever they're doing is certainly not the solution for any of them but yeah that's certainly like another episode we've been trying to get some prison no, yeah. abolitionists and, 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 on as well and i'm not saying that like the scandinavian model is the be all and end all right i i i think that there, there's levels to it right um but what i am saying is that it's very it's proof that what that this punishment model is not working. And I and, and like it's kind of like with defund the police versus abolish the police. Like I want to go further than just defunding the police, right? I want to go further than um the Scandinavian model for uh prison reform. See, I think that's 
I, I feel like I'm just like contradicting you, but it is working. We always say that about capitalism. Like we get caught up in our language there and I, I don't mean to nitpick. It is working. The prison system is doing what it's designed to do, right? It's create a lower class to keep us down, to de- disenfranchise voters, uh, you know, like, because people like fix the system, fix the system. Well, it is working. It's working as designed. It's just not designed for us. I, I guess what I mean when I say stuff like it's know, not I'm, working. I'm it, picking it's, on you today. No, 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 no. It's it's very fair. What what I'm saying is like not working according to the rhetoric, right? Yes. Because yes. by design, yes, but that's not how they talk. Right. Right. And right. They also, want you to be safer. They want yeah. crime numbers to be lower. And so like it, really what this comes down to is you have to analyze like where are people like the, the people on the right, especially like where are they coming from? Like, is it is the goal to to help people or is the goal to punish people is is there like some some religious moral like punishment revenge kind of like is that because that is a motivation like and is that really the goal because if that's the goal sure you can justify your shitty prisons and your shitty police system all you want but if the goal is to build a functioning society where everybody is taken care of where you actually like like you have to understand that if your goal is revenge you're not going to lower crime like that doesn't work there's going to be more crime if your goal is revenge if you actually want to fight crime then you should listen to us because we know what the fuck you talk we're talking about and you don't like i'm right you're wrong shut up like you're so humble today (laughs) I'm but, angry today. <laughs> no, I, no, and I, I, that's completely valid. We, we talked about here, you know, capitals need to have a robust police service, right? Um, to kettle us all when they need to. But Doug Ford in particular has a really important relationship with the Ontario Provincial Police and a historic one. So when he first came to office, it's important to remind folks the meddling that went on for him to make sure that whoever got the top job was a friend of his. He changed the criteria then, too. So he's changing the criteria on how cops get hired. The first one of the first things he did was to change the criteria of the the top position in the Ontario Provincial Police. And then, you know, he got caught trying to get one of his Ron Taverner in there and that didn't fly But in the end, he has maintained a very close and symbiotic relationship with the OPP. And, you know, it's the provincial police. Maybe some folks out there are like, there's no problem with that. That is a service that should be kind of controlled by the province. Well, here's the stickler. One of our only methods of recourse against this man paving over the green belt and, and and a few other things that have gone on that have clearly not been on the up and up and definitely not in our best interest. One of the things that we've done, not me personally, but some folks have issued complaints with the OPP. So back in January, early January, the OPP told us they were investigating all of this developer green belt relationship that that's gone on with Doug Ford and the fact that folks were able to buy up land seemingly on a whim without any kind of, you know, previous agreements, which is all bullshit. Well, if it's up to the OPP to police our premier and the premier is just throwing money at them. What does that do to that relationship? At what point can it not be obvious to everybody that the police are no longer serving us in any capacity? Like, on top of the fact that their boards are made up mostly of politicians who we can't trust, conservative politicians, and then police, right? There's very few community members that get any deciding factor whatsoever in where 40% of their fucking tax dollars go. And in a service that is so integral to our lives that, you know, it impacts our economy. I mean, this isn't just, I don't even want to name a service that isn't important and doesn't deserve public input, but this is a big one. Not only is it a big budgetary item, it's huge. And it's the one that we have the least amount of say in. And I'm really troubled by this close relationship that this particular premier has with the police force. 
considering what we know about him and his family and their history of not following the law. You know, I'm not a fan of all laws, but I'm definitely a lesser fan of the Ford family. And I, I think one of the problems, too, just to add on to that, because when we say he's not following the law, I think one of the problems is and there's a lot of things that he gets away with that are legal, but are still corrupt as hell. Yes. You know, like the the, the law isn't nearly enough in this situation. I was like, there's a law in Canadian politics that's legal corruption. Right, like, Absolutely. You know what? And I think they're doing a. My English is just so poor this morning. A lesser and lesser job, a poorer and poorer job of selling this law and order to the right. The convoy had awful run-ins with the police, like for them, right? They they thought they should have complete impunity and were completely miffed at the fact that they'd be pulled off that bridge and whatnot. And even though they do enjoy that unique relationship, you know, they don't get shut down quite as often they're starting to get a little restless. And in turn, they will have the police apply to them, right? They will experience police violence at some point. And they are broke, right? The working class, no matter what side you are on politically, are absolutely broke. And surely stepping back and looking at the prioritizing of funds for a single service, no matter what it is, is bad for business, right? If you even if you think cops contribute and and serve your community well, surely they don't deserve that kind of funding, considering the state of our hospitals, considering our schools are falling apart, considering all of the things we claim to not it's have also, funds for. It's also, like, really hard to walk back, you know, once you have people who are police. It's really hard. Like, what do you mean? Like, to reform a police officer? No, what I'm saying is, like, like we're going to see a massive influx in people becoming oh, police, mm-hmm. right? Walking it back is going to be met with so much resistance. And they're going to have so many stories about, like, people who just want to, like, protect others and stuff and are now being left without a job and stuff. Like, there's going to be... I, I'm already anticipating, like, the long aspect of it. And it's incredibly that, frustrating. <laughs> That's one of the parts that I think upset me about this, especially because of the work and the impact that the defund the police movement has had, right? It's something everybody talks about, whether you agree it or not, you know what it means. You've heard the suggestion, right? Like maybe free tuition is a completely foreign topic to you, but you have heard of people calling for defunding the police. They have been very organized. Black Lives Matter have done incredible work and it's gotten worse that level of resistance has made almost no impact at all and they are doubling down and when i say they i mean capital and the ruling class they're doubling down they're saying fuck you we hear your calls and we don't care we are anticipating a revolution and we want to make sure we are armed to the teeth you mentioned the United States and the military. A lot of what they do as well is decommission military equipment to give it to the police forces. Or they're funded in such levels that they can actually purchase weapons and vehicles that are typically for war zones are being deployed in urban settings. Now, this isn't to combat crime on transit. There's only one reason police officers would need that kind of equipment in those kinds of numbers, right? And and that is to protect the ruling class. That's a really scary part, right? Because, I mean, a little bit of it, I, I, just to like put like maybe a little bit of a positive spin on that, maybe they think we're actually <laughs> going to be successful at mobilizing people and getting them on the street, which is a nice thought, you know? Uh, good to know. That's what I meant earlier. You know, yeah. it was a sign of hope because they smell it. Yeah. So so that's the good part. The bad part is, um, yeah, the violence. Um, not good. I mean, right now, like, we're at a situation where we're going to see, like, the necessity of, of, of blockading stuff, of, of, of really shutting things down, right? And, and, and that becomes scarier to do when you know. By the way, did, did you see in France they were... Um, did the, some of the protesters, they built a wall in the middle of a road, like a brick wall 
like they from scratch in the middle of a highway like they were laying bricks with cement and stuff like they they built a wall in the middle of a highway it was incredible workers can do yeah no it was incredible like what i'm saying is we need that here if that had been the bosses out there can you only imagine what those that wall would have fucking looked like <laughs> no my favorite part about it my favorite part of it there was a guy with a level who was checking to make sure that the wall and i was like that is incredible the level like the fact that this guy is checking to make sure it's not just a wall it's a good wall to block this highway Absolutely. they have improved their barricades over in paris <laughs> It was taking notes beautiful but my point being is that like when that like like we're gonna be like what we're seeing in france is what we need here and when we do that we're gonna be met with incredible violent resistance and so we also have to be ready for like how how to take care of each other through that how to how to protect people because that is the future here yeah in our first episode we talked about keeping each other safe but we didn't really get into the the street confrontations that are inevitable in large movements. Um, it's, it's very easy for the police with the tools that they have to, to shut down a very large group of people, you know? Well, if anyone is listening and was at the G20 in Toronto, and, you know, again, we refer to that in our first episode, It's hard to talk about. You're walking down University Avenue, which is extremely wide. And then I believe we ended up on Queen Street. And at every single intersection, there was at least two lines of fully riot gear police officers standing, blocking your way. In front of the U.S. Embassy, they even had their batons in the raised position as you walked by. At this point, it's just a peaceful march. People are throwing up peace signs. You know, we're all kind of got the banners waving chants, but it's completely peaceful. And that is, you've never seen so many cops. You didn't even know so many cops existed. And it this goes on and on as you walk through the city and as we get closer to the zone that they were determined we not get into the numbers of police it would be then three lines deep four lines deep horses bicycles other vehicles that we had never seen before and there were so many of us so many of us and we could not get anywhere most were not determined to, to get anywhere at all. But if you wanted to change the path of the march or, or whatnot, you were just met with walls of police officers. And in the end, for folks who don't know, those police officers fired rubber bullets on peaceful protesters. They kettled people, beat them mercilessly, locked them in open air containment centers that they had built just for this purpose, to shut down resistance to the G20, right? To the most wealthiest nations in the world gathering to decide the fate of the planet, essentially, as they do annually or whatever. And they were going to do whatever it took to make sure we did not disrupt that. And now that was so long ago they every year since then they have increased the amount of police on the streets and they've increased the skills that those folks have to shut down resistance not the kind of training we want them to have and they have more sophisticated weaponry and 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 you're walking back like i when you said that and i understood started to understand what you said i pictured demolition man demolition is that the movie? I always date myself with you, Santiago. I swear to God. <laughs> no, but I it's don't a movie know. With... I, I don't know new stuff either, to be fair. Okay, fair enough. Then it's just me projecting my oldness. But it's it's a movie where it is a complete police state. And it's supposed to be comical. And, you know, you swear and tickets pop out of the wall. And, you know, like we are completely docile creatures with... Mm-hmm. Anyway, but that's what I pictured. It will be. We'll become so normalized to see police on every corner. Because for me, I worked in the core during G20. 
And that was such a time of high anxiety for me because I had to walk into the zone that had fences on it every single day. So I had to show ID to get through my city, like through checkpoints. You know, as a Westerner, that is not something I had ever experienced here. Yeah, I know. And on each corner, yeah, like to get to the (laughs) Starbucks to get my macchiato or whatever, pools of police horses and they're everywhere. This is like on the middle of a Wednesday. There was no rally planned. It was like that for a week. We were in like this police state. They put fences where so quickly they cordoned off a huge swath of the biggest city in in Canada. And it was unreal. And But I felt like I was the only person really struggling with that in my workplace of about 40 people. Everyone else was making jokes and I was really stressed out about it. Of course, I knew I'd be at the G20 and and what this would mean. And I was angry with the state at the time. So it, 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 it hit me different. But we most people completely accepted that level of state interference in our daily lives without complaining at all. Mm-hmm. You know, where are your papers? They were asking us for our papers to make sure you worked in that building so that you could get through on University at King. And I always wonder where the libertarians are whenever I hear this stuff because they should well, be furious and you don't hear them complaining. That's the same hypocrisy that exists on almost all issues with libertarians, to be honest, yeah. and, and the right in general. Right. Because this is an attack on civil liberties when you have that kind of police state. Right. And yeah. and when they say they're the freedom convoy, surely they don't mean under these conditions. But alas, they are silent. I think also just, you know, like an example like of something like I, I, I lived through was, you know, after after Lamport Stadium, you know, like the Division 14 protests where, um, you know, they had like a the, the line of bicycle cops. Right. It doesn't seem like there's there's that many of them right and and the second that things go sideways you know they they have like they're ready they're positioned all over the place like they swarm in with riot gear people come out with tear uh, gas and you know they're they're already pepper spraying everyone and you know this is a group of really fired up people who had already been a lot of them like beat up by police in the morning at Lamport Stadium who had been through that and it was incredible how quickly they can contain that you know it was so fast it happened if only they had that same kind of training for you know these critical incidents where people are in mental health crisis right like yeah yeah you're right they operate like robots they are organized they know exactly what they're doing in these situations they also know how to provoke it you know you know like they had the line of bikes they back off the bike someone pushes a bike boom it's over you know i knew when i saw them backing because like they were holding the bikes effort when i saw them back up i was like oh shit oh shit they're like they they know how to they know how to provoke it right and they they, they got like their their facial recognition vans you know like yes and, and and also like like just talking about the weaponry for a second right like rubber bullets are not these playful, like they're not paintballs, you know. Rubber bullets often have metal cores in them. Um, I remember there was a journalist in the States who um, during, like I think it was in 2020, they lost their eye because they were shot at with a rubber bullet. Um, these things often break bones. Cause ser- like rubber bullets are nothing to mess they around with. They have been fatal. Yeah. And they're supposed to be like bounced off the ground and stuff, but a lot of times they just, Go right for it. The tear gas canisters that have been used in the States and, and similarly in Canada, a lot of them are expired. We're talking stuff that's been expired for 20 years. Um, to to give Matthew Green some credit, he has brought up and raised this issue multiple times that oh, police yeah. forces should not be equipped with tear gas. That some of the weapons that they use, according to the UN, are actually, you know... Tear gas cr- is a war crime. It's yeah. against the Geneva Convention. Yeah. So it, it should outrage people that we have these systems in place that continue to keep us down. But I wanted to tell you a quick story when you talk about provocation back to the G20. On Queen Street, there was a police cruiser and it had been surrounded by 
I don't know, 20 riot cops. And folks were sitting cross-legged on the ground singing in front of it. And the police formed a line and walked backwards as a line down a side street, disappeared, left the cruiser there. They were not being attacked. They were completely safe. I don't know why they brought that cruiser and left it there. That's the cruiser that you see being jumped on. And I believe it was probably set alight. I might be wrong on this, but, you know, and that was what hit the front page of the newspapers were people destroying this police cruiser. But I even had video on my old Facebook account that clearly shows right from the get go exactly what the police did in terms of leaving that cruiser there and then completely leaving Queen Street altogether when they had been an omnipresence for the entire rally and march. Right. They were directing us. They decided where we were going that day. They decided what environmental conditions would be there, where their vehicles would be. And it was all done on purpose so then that they could justify the violence that would also be leaked through the newspapers, but clearly not as prominent as the destruction of a police cruiser or the smashing of a Starbucks window. This is where, you know, and I'm going to sound a bit old school here, but like this is the Black Panther. Like people got to read Sun Tzu, Art of War. People got to learn about like guerrilla warfare tactics and and these things because because they're this is what they like they're they're tactical with it you know and w- when it comes to being like like with all things I, I I do believe strongly in in nonviolence in in the sense of like like we we shouldn't go out there and 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 pursue violence and attack but. When it comes to defending, when it comes to disrupting, which is what we need to do, right? We need to disrupt. We need to know what tactics the police use. We need to know how to protect f- from it. Because, like, what happens, like, like we, we talk about how far away the general strike is. Like, we need the general strike. When we get the general strike, this is what we're going to face, you know? Well, <laughs> if we... if I'm saying when. Yeah, or... In a perfect general strike, that's our ideal general strike, right, is that spark that leads to something bigger. But to guerrilla warfare, you know, uh, that's a, a book by Che Guevara. It's absolutely essential reading for anyone who thinks of themselves as a revolutionary, even if you abhor violence, because it will be visited upon you. But I would love this. That's a real um mostly applicable to rural settings. A lot of it is, you know, you need the geographical advantage that Cuba provided the guerrillas. I digress. We need an urban, more modern, updated version that, like you said, works in the police tactics that they now employ. Uh, No, not, sorry, 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 uh, not South Korea. Uh, what, What am I thinking of? Uh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. God damn. Why am I? Hong Kong. I won that one. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Hong Kong. Yeah. Hong Kong well, is, is, the, is the blueprint for urban uh, movements when it comes to this. I mean, they have that shit figured out. The brick it's wall. Like, I think it would yeah. be an eclectic. It would be a collection from around the world that we would need to put together these tactics. We're blueprints of disruption. Let's put it together. <laughs> I mean, if we don't, who will? But right. That'd be a good book. You know, it'd be a good series. Yeah, if we're going to see capital continually reinvest in the police services to keep us down, we absolutely need to start upping our game and understand that that is part of the class war against us. It isn't to keep us more safe. It isn't to improve, you know, the TTC. It is in defense of the indefensible. Because you, you know what I think about when, when, when you don't do that is like, remember, like, I'm just thinking of like the trials of the Chicago 7, right? Like that whole protest in, in Chicago gone wrong situation. Like that, that's what happens when you're not prepared, right? Like that, like y- you need to understand what you're actually going to face because, and, and also like when, when you take a movement that doesn't know this and then you, you put them in front of violence and then you have like day like that that's how you also um really can destroy a lot of momentum of a movement really quickly 
I mean, the day that people actually go up and face that and you don't know that you're going to face that and you haven't lived it and you haven't seen it, like a lot of people don't come back. They're like, not me, I'm out. And and, and that's because that only happens because you're not prepared. If you're prepared, that's not going to happen. So we do have to like, and, and, and this is taking a whole turn. I didn't even think that like we, we'd be going like quite in this direction. Start advocating for, for guerrilla warfare? No, more of the sense that like talking, <laughs> like this is like the much deeper uh what consequences of this uh, police situation? I think that's why it makes me so upset. It has like those logical reasons like funding and prioritizing nurses over police and the fact that, you know, it doesn't actually lower crime. But in my heart, I know that that's them bolstering their defenses. Our jobs are becoming more difficult and that's scary, too, to imagine what it will be like going up against that kind of police state when we need to. But and like just to be clear, like like I feel like I want to remind people like that, like protest is a right of any democratic society. Like that what we're talking about, just because uh, just to be absolutely clear, we're not like we're not talking about going and like like we're, we're talking about disrupting. Is this the in- legal disclaimer? I'll, no, I, in my mind, I just think about like what would happen if somebody who didn't already agree with us and didn't know what we were talking about watched this whole thing, right? I, I can imagine them kind of going like, oh, so like they're giving all these logic reasons, but really it's so that they can go and be hooligans and criminals and stuff. It's like, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like the right of upholding democracy, of of shutting things down that need to be shut down, of making our voices heard, you know, and those are things that are met with resistance. Um just ask like Wetsuitsen, right? Like the Wetsuitsen crisis. Like that, that's your example right there where they're in the legal right to be defending that land and they've been met with violence. You know, you talk um, land back lane, you know, you talk. like We talked the, about the tens of millions of dollars that the OPP spend on just surveilling them constantly. They yeah. don't just surveil them. They harass them and intimidate them. But millions and millions and millions of dollars spent on that plus the 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 prosecution levels of prosecution that those folks go through. But I just hope people listen back to this episode and one know a little bit, you know, you can break through that rhetoric that we're not in danger. We don't need this influx of police officers, but then to also understand the hypocrisies involved in it and the long-term picture. It's so easy to look at policy to policy and, and get upset about it or line by line in a budget. And that's that's justifiable. You, you got to work that way as well. But the bigger picture is what we consistently work towards here on the show of a political revolution. We mentioned it in our intro, right? We don't shy away from that as being our desired outcome. And defunding the police is got to be one of those top priorities for so many reasons, right? To fund our communities and to make a change possible because they will thwart every effort. Even small efforts are thwarted, right? They're they're the ones enforcing court injunctions when when Indigenous folks take over the rail lines. They're the ones that are shutting down our protests before they can be truly effective. So they absolutely are an enemy of the working class. They should not be in unions. And that is a shout yeah, out poli- to the... Police unions are not real unions. Many... Many of the federations, the provincial federations of labor, include the police unions. Now, I don't believe the Ontario Federation of Labor does, but New Brunswick absolutely does. And that is pure trash, if you folks can hear us. Yeah. Police are also not, like, like in the same way that police unions are not uh, real unions, like, put police are, I don't, I don't group them <laughs> with the rest of public employees, you know. I've got a list of not real unions, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like a, a directory now, I feel like, but we digress. Unions are important, just not police ones. No, and, and like, I mean, speaking like real quickly, like there's a lot of frustration going on about like just touching on the mayoral race, which we didn't even really touch on that much. In not specifically. Thing. I did give Mark Saunders yeah. a shout out for kind of starting this whole law and order. But just to like talking about fake unions, the fact that all of these uh, several unions came out in support of Anna Balayo, and I'm hearing a lot of complaints about rank and file members saying, "What? Not us," you know. And that happens, right? They a lot of 
unions make really, really big decisions and they do not have to uh, bring anything to a vote. They don't need approval or even to give them a heads up. But yeah, that that signals, you know, um, you know, what's crazy who not I, to I, vote for. for I me. think if anything in the States, I think they don't they're not allowed to do that as much because I think I'm remembering something about to how what? Enough, like unions just endorse politicians without consulting the rank and file. Because I, I think I remember something about the biggest union uh, in, in Nevada where their rank and file wanted to endorse Bernie. And so they couldn't endorse Biden, even though they wanted to. Something something along those lines. Like, I remember there was a conflict there. Like, each union might have, well, should have within their constitution guidelines, you know, because there's got to be balance for the heads to be able to react when they need to react like you know to comment on a situation or endorse something i mean endorsements you have time you don't have to rush those but other things it's got to be that flexibility to be able to act without the consent of the members but on issues like this like the next mayor of toronto i don't know i i think that's a tough one but political endorsements side note i just remembered something um well, then remember, just saw it on Twitter. Wanted to make this point. Most police in Toronto don't live in Toronto. They're not from Toronto. They're from outside of Toronto. And I just really wanted to mention that because that's another really important thing where the police are not actually from the communities where they serve. And there's a huge disconnect there. And like, I think most of them are, are, are from like Durham. And I wonder why that is so, because for the most part, a lot of workers don't actually live in the city of Toronto simply because they can't afford it. But we know police are actually well compensated. So what keeps them from the city? That's that's a weird conundrum. But like I said, that that's common for a lot of workers. That is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. So until next time, keep disrupting.